Hey, hey, we're your hosts. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Jonathan. And we believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give to yourself is the gift of wholeness through integrating all aspects of what it means to be human. And in this podcast, we're bringing you insight, information, and inspiration to move from a stressful to stress-free life. Your journey to becoming even healthier and happier starts right now. Welcome to Wellness Theory, the podcast. Hey everyone, today I'm so excited to introduce you to our next guest. Our guest today has been helping people improve their performance and quality of life for over a decade. And that's been as a coach, a trainer and a speaker. His expertise stems from a background in biology, education, a current academic study of psychology and lifelong personal experience of stress-related adversity, including depression, cancer, two catastrophic burnouts, and a chronic stress-related disability. He is currently working on his third book and has dedicated his professional life to training leaders and teams around the world on how to manage stress effectively at both an individual and systemic level. So please give a warm welcome to Mr. Jay Unwin. How are you, my friend? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. You're most welcome. Great. I, I really love that intro. Um, I think there's so many things in there that we can immediately unpack. But first of all, Jay, why have you dedicated your life to essentially stress and stress management? That's not a small question, is it? <laughs> it's not. With, let's go. I think that I think the biggest thing for me really has been personal experience. And it's been a it's been quite a journey. Um, it's not something that I've uh, you know that I decided early on and suddenly jumped into going yeah this is what I'm going to dedicate my life to um I initially after university uh went into teaching was as my first career I'd done biology at university um realized upon coming out of university that biologist isn't a vocation unless you go into kind of further research and do your master's your PhD and so on um I realized I wasn't actually qualified to, to really do anything um and I thought okay I, I need to choose a career here and uh, I had a certain list of uh, things that I wanted my career to fulfill like a checklist and it was things like you know um, reasonable paycheck a, an ability to continually learn and develop my own skills um, a career progression uh, the feeling that I was doing something beneficial for society or my community and uh, teaching was one of the things which jumped out to me and I thought okay this is something that I could I could go into and dedicate my life to um I say dedicate my life to because less than two years later I burned out and that was that first you mentioned in the intro had two catastrophic burnouts that was the first taste uh where I was just completely unable to work I was manifesting all the symptoms of this overwhelm and this burnout physically and because I have a rather checkered medical history, um, again, in the intro, you mentioned about cancer, I had lymphoma as a teenager. And so there's always this panic when I go and see doctors about some kind of symptom that there could be a relapse. And so I was going through all of these tests. It was constant blood tests and CT scans and x-rays and all of these things. And every time it would come back and they'd say, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. And I was like, well, I'm clearly not fine, right? Because all of this stuff is happening. And eventually my GP said to me, uh, have you considered it might be stress? And my immediate response was, well, I don't feel stressed. And he said, well, stress can actually show up physically with physical symptoms, not just, you know, the feeling of psychological stress. So I started doing a bit of reading because I'm a massive nerd and I love reading around these things. And um, 
I started kind of delving into stress and teaching myself about it. And I was absolutely blown away by, you know, all this stuff that I didn't know. And I realized, yeah, that he was absolutely right. And this was what it was. It was a burnout. It was too much stress, too much overwhelm. It was around the same time that I became a dad for the first time as well. My first daughter was born around the same time. So there's all of this stuff going on, uh, not just professionally, but personally as well. Um, I ended up leaving teaching and decided to go into an industry that would keep me fit and well instead. Uh, I thought health and fitness industry, right? I'll retrain as a personal trainer. I'll go into the health and fitness industry because everyone in the health and fitness industry is healthy and fit. And uh, turns out that's not actually the case. No, um, <laughs> no. And so I, it was a good decision for five years. Um, I had a successful personal training business. I um, did some online coaching, did a lot of nutrition stuff, owned my own gym for a little while. But five years into it, I burned out again. And uh, there was six months where I was completely unable to work physically and mentally just done. And in that six month period where I was trying to recover, I did a lot of reflection and I realized that although I changed my external circumstances, I hadn't really changed my own values, my own behaviors. And to all intents and purposes, I've gone from being a workaholic teacher to being a workaholic personal trainer. And I was still constantly trying to get everything perfect. Was, there was always more I could be doing. Um, and that perfectionism is really what, what finished me off. And off the back of that, that was 2017. So it's a little while ago now. And I, I, I realized that fitness in the sense that I'd been doing it for five years really had no bearing on everyday life if I couldn't deal with just regular stuff. What, what good was it? What good was the training in the gym if I just if everyday life finished me off? And I developed a, a, a more holistic approach to fitness um, upon that realization and this kind of idea that, well, no one can actually even define fitness for me if I was surrounded by people who did fitness for a living I asked them what does it mean you know everyone has these ideas but they you can't really define it in a simple word or a simple sentence and I realized upon that realization it followed on to well fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from stress so physical fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from physical stress which could be going to the gym or running a marathon those typical fitness type stuff but it could be getting up and down the stairs, could be running around after your kids. It's your ability to do physical things and recover afterwards. That's what physical fitness is. And so mental fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from mental stress, emotional stress. And then when it becomes framed in that way, it has a huge impact on everyday life, your performance at work, your relationships, um, your ability to enjoy your hobbies, all comes back to your ability to cope and recover from physical demands or mental and emotional demands. And that's kind of where the this this amalgamation of the fitness stuff and the and the stress stuff came from. And more recently, because individuals, when they want you know someone to help with their fitness, they they don't want them to start talking about stress. They're just like, hey, give me a workout plan or a diet plan or something. What do you want about talking about stress? And I decided that working with individuals wasn't the wasn't the way to go for me because it was too much of a hard sell. Uh, people didn't get it. So I started working with organizations and going in and speaking to teams um, about stress management and how they can how they can make that accessible to anyone, how you can manage it at a systemic level as well as an individual level. Um, 
and since then I've started doing my master's in psychology as well to really kind of consolidate all of that knowledge because that's where stress sits right it's at that intersection of biology so my past study and psychology my current study uh, because you've got the psychological element you've also got the physiological stress response um, and that ties in with all the all the um, uh, personal experience I've had of it over the years as well which let's be honest we've all had it exactly exactly listen that's that's there's such a great answer to that first question straight off the bat um, sorry it was so long <laughs> never apologize for that it is all absolutely relevant and that particularly the the way in which you've you've come into this and there's actually quite a few similarities between kind of your journey around kind of being in that fitness piece and then almost like seeing where the, where the stress sit in that because we found that a very similar thing is that actually when we was asked that question, why why are folks so much on stress or why are you so passionate about stress? And we're like, well, we're not actually passionate about stress. We're we're passionate about the vitality and mm. everything that comes from stress relief and how we manage that and how we can grow our capacity and our resilience to be able to deal with stress, whether that be healthy or unhealthy kind of stress. And we weaving that into day-to-day life when it comes to kind of comes to that health and fitness side is that we realize everybody is experiencing stress on some level they're just not necessarily identifying with so I found it really interesting what you said when you went to the doctor and the doctor said have you considered it stress you're like but I don't feel stressed that is so common that is so so common and it's something that I still experience today It'd be like, I like, are you stressed out? Because I might be coming up with a bit of a block of something, or I'll be maybe a bit uh, like less energized than I usually am. And somebody's like, like a friend of mine, like, are, you, are you stressed right now? Are you overwhelmed? I'm like, don't feel like I am. But it mm. really makes me stop and check. Well, am I? And when I actually then look at the, maybe the demands and the things that are going on in my in my world, both external and internal, I can actually start to obviously pinpoint that and have a deeper sense of self awareness. So, just on that note, Jay, like. How can someone that's maybe listening to this start to resonate whether they're stressed or not? Because you, you know, we we say something similar to what you said is that it's it comes from many different places. It manifests differently. There's psychological stress, emotional stress, physical stress. How does somebody start to decipher perhaps what they're experiencing? It's um, it's a process for sure and it takes it takes time and it takes a uh, for me it's, it took a lot of practice to develop that level of self-awareness um i think part of it comes from learning about how stress can manifest uh and spotting those signs i think that one of the most important things to realize one of the biggest things that i realized was that um because we're all different anyway right we all have different uh personalities and characteristics and stuff like that we're all special snowflakes aren't we so the the thing is that what will be a sign for one person being overwhelmed and having too much stress and i think that the key thing is that we need to understand is about that kind of it's about it's not about having any stress because we don't want no stress anyway but it's about that point where the stress becomes too much you know there is an optimal level of stress which i'm sure we'll come on to at some point um but if if uh if we're under too much stress um it's understanding the changes that have happened uh so the changes in our behavior the changes in how we feel physically changes in how we feel emotionally um you know for some people they may withdraw for example emotionally and behaviorally they're kind of withdrawing from social situations other people they may become more uh, gregarious and more sociable because they use it as a distraction technique from that overwhelm 
So it's not so much that one or the other is the case. It's that if it's a change from what's normal, then perhaps there's something going on. In the same way as a, uh, as a um, new symptom physically could be the sign of an onset of a physical illness, um, whereas that symptom might be something that someone else lives with all the time and it's not a symptom of the same illness, right? So it's understanding that very personal nature of it and has something changed? Are you behaving differently to how you normally would? Are you feeling different to how you normally would? Are other people noticing things in you that perhaps they weren't noticing before? None of these things are cut and dried as signs that you're under too much stress or that you're becoming overwhelmed. Um, some of them might be signs that there is something physical going on. And, you know, I would implore anyone to go and get checked out physically as well to rule out, if nothing else, to rule out physical stuff. Because some of the physical signs of stress, uh, fatigue, headaches, uh, brain fog and lack of concentration, confusion, forgetfulness, physical aches in the body. Um, there's all kinds of stuff that, that is uh, that is linked to that that overwhelm and that stress. But those are very generic symptoms, which could be of so many different things. So it's not massively helpful. And I'm, I apologize that I don't have a clear answer. If only life was that simple. Um, go and get yourself checked out, have some blood tests, make sure there's nothing kind of insidious lurking under the surface that needs to be dealt with physically. And then if there isn't, if the blood tests are coming back like normal and the scans are coming back normal, then address the fact that maybe that's being caused by uh, by something that's lifestyle related, uh, that's work related or personal life. And then you can kind of think, right, what's going on? What's changed? What is happening in my life at the moment? Yeah. And, and you can assess it in that way. I think that is actually a very clear answer as much as I know you're saying it's no one size fits all and absolutely right and we need to go and actually check right that's that's reasonable for everybody listening but the I think the clear answer there is being self-aware enough to know the changes that you're experiencing because being stressed isn't always putting your fist for a wall you know it's mm -hmm. not always because like you, you've got too much work on your plate there's there's so many different ways it can reveal itself but like you've said, if you can have the awareness to see the changes, you can start to notice patterns as well. And patterns is something that I find really, really interesting when it comes to stress, because that can sometimes be the difference between going on these kind of extremes of like, um, you know, intense stress or stress turning to chronic stress, basically, and then leading to burnout. One of the things that you, you share with me um, Joe, before we obviously hit record today, was you've obviously been experiencing fibromyalgia as a chronic stress-related um, illness. Um, and this is something you've obviously had to live with um, for, for a very long time. And it's something that you said you've had a bit of a flare-up recently on. So I'm curious to know from your experience, like what are some of the changes that you notice within yourself when you start to perhaps notice these flare-ups? Yeah, the 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 fibromyalgia thing is an interesting one because it's almost forced my hand into becoming more self-aware um, than perhaps I was in the past. And it is something I've lived with for a long time, but it's something I've only had a diagnosis of for a few years. Um, so I've lived with it for a long time before knowing what it was, um, which is incredibly frustrating. Uh, it's still frustrating now because it's a very misunderstood uh, or very poorly understood, I should say, uh, condition. So the causes of it are very unclear. Uh, it's suggested that it's neurological. Um, 
and it's often triggered by a period of intense stress or and that can be physical or mental stress or trauma uh for me the suggestion is that that started as a result of having had cancer so physical stress on the body and that can often trigger these kinds of conditions it can also trigger things like autoimmune conditions and things like that which fibromyalgia isn't considered to be autoimmune but there are similarities um and and what i've what i've noticed is that the more flare-ups i have the earlier and earlier i catch them from experience you start seeing these signs you start seeing these patterns like you described it um, and you catch them earlier and earlier because just just through experience it's through trial and error more than anything else and i think that that's that's an important lesson for anyone whether they live with a condition like this or not is that through just sheer experience of these things you can you can take those lessons if we are willing to kind of look at them in a bit more detail not usually in the moment as well but after the fact and go okay what happened just before what was happening just before this happened and when we assess those things communication is a, is is for me the fundamental foundation of almost everything right communication socially and self-awareness really is just communication with yourself that's what self-awareness is and so it becomes that kind of foundational point again where you're having a discussion with yourself going right what can what can we see happening here sometimes it's very beneficial to have that conversation with other people people who are close to you what did you notice just before i xyz yeah. and for me some of the signs are i mean fatigue is a big one fatigue is one of the main symptoms of fibromyalgia it's very similar to chronic fatigue syndrome or um, me uh, but it has the added bonus of widespread chronic pain as well you know just as an extra cheeky addition to the fatigue um it's all fun and games right so I notice fatigue. Um, I also notice pain, physical pain. If I'm under, if if uh, if I'm under a lot of pressure, or, or something has happened that's raised my kind of emotional state in some way, and it can be a, it can be sadness, anger, on that side of things, or it could be something that's often considered a, a positive emotion i don't like labeling emotions as positive or negative personally but what's widely considered to be positive emotions if i can be if i'm e ecstatic about something that can that can trigger um the, these same kind of physical responses because it is it's an intense emotional change um so i'll notice fatigue i'll notice widespread pain um i'll notice headaches lack of concentration lack of concentration is one of the first things i notice if I can't, if I can't concentrate on things which I normally find really easy to concentrate on, I'm not great at concentration at the best of times, but some things I get really hyper-focused on. And if I can't do that or I don't do that and I'm just like, I can't get stuck in, I think, hang on a minute, I know what's happening here. And I know that if I continue to push through, this is only going to get worse. So I kind of wind things back. I clear my calendar a little bit. I remove things which I don't have to do um i'm very into my my background of being a personal trainer and stuff i like training i can't train super hard because of my condition uh, but i like to train regularly and that's one of the things where i have to go i'm going to have to knock that on the head for a couple of weeks because that's a physical stress on the body that i can't cope with at the moment and sometimes i even have to start from scratch from like you know i lose months and months of strength and i have to start from scratch again which is incredibly frustrating but I know that if I don't do that, I will end up 
going through, I, I'm not willing to go through a third burnout, right? I did it once, wasn't sure if I liked it, did it a second <laughs> time just to be sure. That's it for me. I'm not doing it a third time. And so I have to, I have to be willing to make sacrifices. That's so interesting that you said that. It's like, because it's the whole burnout, I can relate to that. I've, I've burned out not once, not twice, three times. Um, but they've all presented very differently each time. So I'm curious to know from your burnouts, was it exactly the same kind of pattern that kind of led you where you ended up? Or was that um, like, what was the experience different, I guess? I think the details were different, but I think the process was very similar. Um, I think that the process was very much one of overwork and overcommitment. It was the need or the perceived need to do better all the time and to do more and to improve. Now, I'm a big fan of consistent improvement, right? I'm, I'm a, I, I like the whole kind of Japanese concept of Kaizen. I've got a tattoo of it on my forearm to remind me of it. Tattoo here. Oh, have you? I was wearing this now. Yeah, <laughs> I've got one on my forearm there. Um, but the like, it's it's to remind me that con consistent improvement is a good thing. But I think that we are mis missold what consistent and constant improvement looks like. It doesn't have to be improvement. Doesn't necessarily mean more. It can sometimes mean less. Usually does. In fact, it, it can often mean less. And it's that. Um, Oh, I can never pronounce his name. It's the author who wrote The Little Prince. He, there's a quote from him, Antoine something or other. He's a French author. And he he had a quote which was, perfection is not when uh, nothing more can be added, but when nothing more can be taken away. I paraphrase. I've probably absolutely butchered that quote. But the idea is that perfection is about removing the fluff, removing stuff that doesn't need to be there. Um, and so, yes, I am still a recovering perfectionist. And in fact, one of my values now is imperfection. I've realized that in the middle of a talk I was delivering once I realized I was talking about values. And I was like, I've just realized that imperfection is one of my values, because I'm very much about openness and honesty. None of us are perfect. And so therefore, imperfection and showing up imperfectly is actually really important to me. Um, but I am a recovering perfectionist and I still have that in my mind. And there's a lot of stuff that happened when I was uh, when I was a child, which kind of led me down that path of striving for perfection. Um, probably a story for another day. But the 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 reframing of what perfection actually is has helped me understand um, that consistently trying to do more isn't necessarily where I need to be. But that was the that was the pattern which led me to both of the burnouts, because when I was a teacher, I could always be planning a better lesson like that. That's the marking is the marking, the planning. There was always there's always something you could do better. There's always more work to be done when you're a teacher. There is no. Oh, I've done everything. I'm fully caught up. That just doesn't happen. And the same thing happened when I was a personal trainer, because when you own a business, once again, there is always more that you could do. There is no, oh, I'm fully caught up as an entrepreneur, right? And it's it's actually true of many um, of many industries and many positions in many industries that you could be working in any company in the world and there's probably always something more that you could do. But doing more doesn't necessarily mean you're doing it better. In fact, often you end up spreading yourself more thinly. And when you're more tired and your focus is going and, and you kind of can't think straight, your work quality suffers 
So is it not better? Is it not about consistent improvement to actually scale things back and realize that you can get 80% of the results by doing 20% of the effort? And you can do it so much better when you do it that way. So the the process, the pattern was that that need to prove myself, that need to do more, that need to excel. And that's what led me to not being able to do anything. And I was no good as not only, you know, did I lose a business and not only had I already lost my initial career, but I also was no good as a dad. I was no good as a husband. I was no good as a friend. I could barely get out of bed. And and so who was I benefiting? Who who was I helping by by putting myself through that? Um, you know, we all make mistakes and we've all been there and we all go through these things and we all make poor decisions. And it's only in, it's, it's not until after the fact that we know that it was a poor decision necessarily. So I'm not being judgmental here. You know, I've been through it and I still make terrible decisions now. But when when we reframe that, when we can see that the pattern, that pattern is occurring in us, we can work on our own values around perfection we can reframe our understanding of stress and we can start doing things which allow us to constantly and consistently improve and get better in a different way than perhaps we considered in the past yeah everything you've said there i'm sure everybody listening can resonate with same same with myself i really like the the reframe of um being imperfect and you kind of hear the cliche we're all imperfectly perfect and mm. uh, you know that's okay and, and but to really feel that and for you to have it as a core value is quite interesting considering the the pattern of burnout that you've experienced and like your tendency i think i'm I'm going to try and adopt that as an intention it's like my, yeah. my intention is actually to be imperfect um i think that could be really beneficial so i'll give that i one think it, i think with that as well it releases some some paralysis around doing things because we can be very um, quick to keep things to ourselves if we don't think they're good enough. And actually, you know, whether this is in business, whether it's in work, whether it's in our personal life, we can go, well, I don't want to do that because I don't want to put something out there that that will people will judge or people will think isn't good enough, when really, actually, we're the only person who's judging it that harshly anyway. And we would get a much better result if we just put it out there and did the thing. And that could be, you know, putting a proposal in. It could be getting up and delivering a, t- a short talk. It could be um, doing something romantic for your partner. It could be, you know, all of these things, they're better done than perfect. And again, it's a cliche, isn't it? But it's it's true. And I think that when we when we adopt that as an intention or a value or whatever, it, it releases us from that paralysis and it actually allows us to see uh, a greater level of progress as a result absolutely the the Pareto principle as well that you mentioned of like 20 yeah in 80 percent of your results that really really stuck with me I can't remember it was years ago that I first like really learned about that and understood it and it was probably only the last few years that I really adopted it you know I really was like okay this 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 is something that I'm embodying now. And even though when I still get overwhelmed, I had to bring myself back to that idea. And like you said about like scaling back like your calendar or commitments or certain things to, to the essentials, right? Is 
I was like, okay, what's 20, what's 20% of a work day? Mm. And I was like, okay, we're looking at about three hours. That's not necessarily a work day. We're like a 12 hour day. Um, I'm like, okay, if I can just do three hours of like deep focused work in one day, that's more than enough. And I'm very, I've, you know, I'm very grateful that I can have that choice. Um, But a lot of people can't when it comes to like a work setting. And I know you do a lot within companies and and somebody in particular came to mind when you were speaking about your pattern and feeling like you can't necessarily concentrate on certain things, but yet there are these demands. There's somebody that I was speaking to very recently that was experiencing that, but yet she didn't feel like she could speak to her line manager. There was different things happening within her company, which meant her line manager had actually kind of moved and somebody else was in play now. They hadn't built up that that trust, if you like. Um, but she was also, regardless of the lack of trust that had been built in relationships, open up to her about what she was experiencing. She also had this deep, intense fear that she would be penalized for sharing that in the workplace which then added even more paralysis to yeah. what she was already experiencing what so what i'd love to know your insights on that because i know she'll be listening to this well first off that is a challenging situation to be in and i think it's actually quite a common situation to be in uh, in my experience as well um i think there'll be a lot of people listening to this who either are experiencing that right now or who have experienced it or who can imagine experiencing it in the near future um i i would say it's very close to 100 and there's no again there's no easy answer to this uh i think that it highlights the importance of having leaders both senior leaders and middle management and people leaders leaders of any size team whether it's three people or three thousand people um who understand stress and understand overwhelm and are willing to open up and talk about it because if people don't, that's when you lose people, either to burnout or to just staff churn. They go somewhere else where they where they feel more valued and more able to be themselves. Uh, so you do lose people, and there is a huge financial cost to this. And there's a lot of a lot of companies are very much trying to balance oh well well being on one side, but finances on the other. It's like hey look, this is this is a a win win or a lose lose. This is not a zero sum game. This is not a trade off between money and people. In which case, if it was, I mean, maybe I'm an idealist, but people should win out over money, right? But but it's not even the case. It's either you look after your people and you help them manage their stress effectively so that not only are they uh, do they have a better quality of life, because that's what well-being is, right? It's your quality of life. Um, but they also perform to a higher standard. And how does that not benefit the company? Uh, you know, the, the revenue... Uh, and the profit in an organization is driven by the people and so it makes no sense to me not to look after the people from 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 any angle that you look at this i'm with you on uh, that preaching to the choir here yeah i know like i know i know but i'm like, like we, we need, um and, and it's improving right there's more more and more organizations are, are understanding that very basic concept now and it's fantastic to see but i do think there's a, still a fair way to go now, going back to that individual situation, because I'm, you know, what I've just shared there was very much a kind of a long term, uh, where can we end up and how can we get there? And it's, you know, through training and strategy, um, leadership development and so on and so forth, which is what I've kind of dedicate my time to doing more than anything else. But for an individual who's in that situation is like, well, that's all well and good, Jay, but that's not where I that's not where I'm at. Yeah. I think that one of the things that we need to remember 
is that we don't have to, you know, that fear of being reprimanded for opening up about something or for um, putting boundaries in place. I think that we see it as a very binary thing, either shut up and put up or kick up a fuss. And people don't want to kick up a fuss because they don't want to deal with the fallout from that. Totally understand that. Completely get it. That is a valid fear because people do get reprimanded for that stuff. Whether they should or shouldn't, it happens. Their careers can be affected. But it's not a binary choice. It's a spectrum. It's not a put up and shut up or kick up a fuss. It's it, there's There's a million shades between that. And depending on who you're speaking to, depending on who your manager is, depending on whether it's your manager you speak to or, or someone else within the organization or someone outside of the organization, there's so many options. You are not just picking on or off. And I think that what, what can be really useful is to uh, sit down and think about what those options are. What is available? What do I need, first of all? What is the problem? And and then secondly, what are some of the ways that I can start to reduce that problem? It's not about going, this is where my stress levels are, and I want them to be right down here. They're right up here, and I want them right down here. It's, they're right up here. How can I bring them down by a couple of percent? That's all you need to do to start with. And then when you've done that, you can do it again. And it's it's incremental. It's iterative. So if you look at that, you can go, okay, well, where can I put a boundary in place that isn't going to rock the boat so much that I cause myself more stress <laughs> because because that's the worry, right? You're gonna you're gonna shoot yourself in the foot by causing more stress whilst trying to reduce the stress, and 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 you're just like, well, what's the point? Yeah. So what can you do that will reduce it, but is but it's not going to cause huge problems? Yeah. And uh, putting boundaries in place is is one way you can do that. That could be around your. Um, your hours it could be around where you're working it could be it could be to do with personal stuff right we've only got a single capacity to deal with stress we don't have a work capacity and a personal capacity we have one capacity which is why when someone is going through uh bereavement for example it affects their work and we need as leaders to be aware of that and to know how to support people with bereavement because it's not a separate stress container that that's going into so it could be that you look at, right, well, I can't, this is all going on at work. I don't know who to speak to. What can I do even temporarily in my personal life to turn down or turn off some of those taps, which are flowing stress into my uh, stress bucket? How can I turn down the flow a little bit to give myself a bit of breathing room? What is within your control? Some things are outside your control. Some things are, you know, you can influence them and other things are well within your control and being able to differentiate differentiate between those things is part of that awareness and part of that realization that actually you know what i can't control the world at large but i can control this and and that's enough for now yeah. um what I, one note that i would really like to highlight on the subject of boundaries is the one of the fears that people have often shared with me around setting more strong boundaries and when i say strong i don't mean rigid i mean strong and flexible um is the fear that other people will uh will hate them for it essentially and just go how dare they who do they think they are yeah um and what i try to remind people is that nobody meets someone with good boundaries and thinks less of them as a result yeah like most of the time when you meet someone who's got good boundaries you admire them and you go, wow, I wish I could do that. Yeah. I wish I had boundaries like that. 
they really kind of back themselves and that is that's brilliant and so by putting good boundaries in place not unreasonable boundaries but good strong boundaries you may actually find that you do your career some good rather than being considered a walkover um who who is just is too scared to say no is is being a yes person going to get you ahead maybe in some instances but not always i think that having boundaries we need to remember is actually something that most people respect and if we if we take ourselves out of the picture and we're less judgmental of ourselves and we see it as a if someone else did this what would i think well i would think fair play to them that's probably what other people are going to think about you exactly and if you're a yes person and you're just saying yes but you're compromising yourself whilst you're saying yes you're already almost like moving against your nature to some extent or at least there's some time there to do a bit of a self-audit and understand well, why are you yeah. saying yes because um, otherwise you end up so far down the road the amount of times i've spoken to clients who have found themselves almost like at the top of top of the chain of like wherever it is they're working and realize that actually that's not what they really wanted they sort of ended up there it's, i think there's a the analogy is like climbing the and putting your ladder up against the wrong wall and you can finally get yeah. to the top right and it's not quite what you expected and it's it's that happens with these little decisions right that feel like massive decisions maybe at the time but because we're so close to them they can become much bigger than what they need to so I really love what you said there about just expanding that perspective and looking at okay what are all the options that are in front of me right now that perhaps could actually be almost like it, the low-hanging fruit the easy win yeah and can plug into we had another guest on the podcast called Jason who spoke about um, releasing the grip by like 5%. And yep. the minute we just like that, that thing that we're holding on to, that tension, that stress in the body, as soon as we just release that just a little bit, we end up creating a bit more capacity to actually be able to then receive what we actually need, right? Or to at least give ourselves what we need. And, and I love the fact that you mentioned boundaries. Boundaries is, is a biggie, an absolute yeah. I saw a I saw a post on um, threads the other day, the brand new hangout, um, which said something about uh, I don't. It was just a just something which randomly came up, not something I followed, which said I, I I'm sick of seeing the word boundaries on social media, and I just replied to it going, "You'll hate me then." Um, <laughs> it's just like I love talking about boundaries, but I think that I just wanted to kind of touch on what you said there about that releasing the grip, um, and. That, that kind of percent that idea of small percentages and small things that you can do the i have this kind of one of my core principles of what i what i talk about is something called minimum effective dose and it was used originally it's a pharmacology term um to do with drug development because you want to understand what the minimum effective dose is i.e what is the smallest amount of this medication that gets the desired effect the absolute smallest amount, because if it's the smallest amount that gets the desired effect, there's less risk of side effects and so on and so forth, right? And also less risk of wasted money and less risk of just wastage in general. So it makes a lot of sense in drug development. Um, sometimes in, you come across it in the fitness industry as well, where it's like, what's the minimum I can do to get the result I want, uh, which reduces the risk of things like injury and stuff like that. And it's a process that I've, I subscribe to, you know, I don't want to be a olympic athlete or a bodybuilder or anything like that so what do i actually need to do in order to get the results i want well the result i want is to be kind of physically fit enough and strong enough and flexible enough to do things that i enjoy doing um and what's the minimum amount of training that i need to do to do that um which reduces the risk of me ending up with a fibromyalgia flare-up 
or um, becoming injured from a joint or muscular perspective. And I use it with stress management as well. It's right. Well, what's the minimum that you need to do in order to reduce uh, the the level in your stress bucket as it's approaching the top? And when that bucket overflows, that's your burnout. Um, we want to keep it away from the top. What's the minimum you can do? And there's two ways of doing that, obviously. Turn some of the taps off or down, like we said, but also let some of that water out through kind of pressure relief, that self-care, that kind of uh, the things which allow you to let go of some of the stress you've already taken on. Those are the only two things we can do. Reduce what's coming in, increase what's going out. But what, you know, there's an obsession with massive action and trying to, right, I'm going to turn off all the taps and I'm going to let all of the water out and I'm going to go on a two-week retreat in central america and um, <laughs> yeah exactly I was, that's where my head was going with it and and it's like great brilliant they serve a great purpose and yes they can remove a huge amount of stress but when you come back what's changed yeah. you know have you changed anything on a micro level so it, usually over a longer period of time if we're looking at right where do i want to be in six months time a year's time two years time five years time whatever i want longevity in terms of my management of stress then looking at the smaller stuff is much more effective looking at that minimum effective dose because then you can go right i'm just going to turn this tap down by a tiny bit i can't turn my workload off yeah that's not going to happen right that would just cause other stresses like having no money so turn that down a little bit and then go from there or let a little bit out turn on one valve by doing some breathing exercises like at one point during the day every day or um getting out for a walk for five minutes before you start your work day like tiny stuff um write down like you start keeping a journal of good things that have happened that day write down three good things that have happened that day every evening you know just tiny things that you could do every day and that's that minimum effective dose the small things which you can do and let's be honest people i'm sure there's plenty of people listening to this who are incredibly busy people and adding huge changes that they you know that they need to make in order to deal with their stress is actually going to add more stress because you say yeah you need to do this and you need to meditate and you need to get up at five o'clock in the morning and do a an hour of breathing exercises and yoga and it's like people don't have time for this stuff people have people have got careers and children and, and all kinds of stuff going on don't add more stress that defeats the point do tiny things and and that's you know the the minimum effective dose principle is something which really ties in with what you were, what you were saying just then. Yeah, and it's so important for longevity. So one of the things we always talk about here is about creating life, lasting change. That's what we care about. We spent too long in the fitness industry seeing people coming in short term goals because they was a wedding or whatever that they want to get in shape for. They do that and then they go back and they gain all the weight or whatever again when they come back and they're back to square one a bit like what you said there as well is like people will um, go away and do like a retreat or whatever come back and experience the same thing so it's like how do yeah. we create that sense of lasting change and it is exactly that it is that minimum viable dose it is what do you need right now <laughs> in immediately yeah. what do you need right now and we give that there are so many and you, everybody can see on social media there's so many different avenues and different things you can do to help yeah. to stress uh, which is great that's one of the good things about social media is you can learn and be exposed to things that maybe you've never thought of before yes but that pressure like you said to do it all and to do it all to the same intensity and to the same amount of time and everything that everybody else 
it is it can it can become quite toxic so again that's where the boundaries piece of what you were talking about earlier kind of comes into play as well isn't it yeah and the self-awareness piece that we started talking about at the start and understanding that what works for one person isn't going to work for another yeah. uh, in the same way you know i bought into the 5am club thing for a while it's like yeah you get up earlier and you get a head start on the day and you get extra time it's like do you get extra time yeah. because you're going to bed an hour earlier or two hours earlier in order to cope with getting up two hours earlier so it's like does it really work doesn't work for me did it for a little while 7 a.m is perfect for me i'm happy with it. in fact 6 45 that's perfect for me and um i'm not I'm, i have no i have no inclination to get up at five o'clock in the morning unless i've got a flight to catch right or something else along those lines um and yet the, this almost cultish behavior starts happening around certain things it's like the perfect morning routine there is no perfect morning routine um I very nearly swore then because I'm so passionate about it. Just like, <laughs> it really isn't. There is only a perfect morning routine for you now, yep. for you. Yep. Because yes, it's going to be different for each person. Your perfect morning routine is going to be different from mine. But also my perfect routine, uh, my perfect morning routine this week is going to be different to what it was uh, two years ago. And it will be different again, probably in six months time. Yep. Uh, and so the self-awareness and the, and the adaptability with very adaptable creatures, humans, we have to understand that um, as a species, our adaptability has, for better or worse, made us the dominant species on the planet, right? We can argue forever over whether that's actually a good thing or not, um, but it has happened. And the reason it's happened is because of our ability to adapt to changing environments and circumstances. And if we remember that we as individual humans have that adaptability too, or we as organizations and companies, a company is just a group of people, you know, you say we've got company, it just means you've got a group of people, right? And groups of people are adaptable. And if we remember that at an individual level that we have that adaptability of the human species, we can adapt to these crazy changes that happen around us and and learn from them rather than being like, oh my God, this has changed and I'm scared. Um, there, I, I, I had a really good point to make as well, and I've completely forgotten what it was. Oh no, I remembered what it was. Remembered what it was about personal things. This is the way my brain works. Go off on ta- go off on a tangent. Um, an example of personal preference around stress and stress management is: Are you a shower or a bath person? Right. So some people love to have a bath to relax. I find baths stressful, like properly stressful. I hate them. I will, I will, and, and people are like, how can you find a bath stressful? Well, I'll tell you how. I make it too hot every single time without fail. I always forget, every now and again, I'll forget that I don't like baths. And I'll be like, oh, I'll have a bath. And I'll put make it too hot and I go red in the face and I get out sweatier than I got in and I'm just like, I should have had a shower. Showers I find really relaxing. And so that's my personal preference. And another example, I'm wearing my, I'm wearing my heavy metal therapy t-shirt, which is a CIC who um, deal with, mental health conditions and um, support uh, through the means of heavy metal and other heavy music. Um, My personal music taste is very stressful for a lot of people, including my wife. Um, She cannot stand the music I listen to. And it it makes her very, very, it raises her stress level. For me, it reduces my stress level. And so we need to understand that that our personal self-care toolkit, our stress management toolkit is going to be very different from the people around us. And that's okay. Yes, we can take inspiration from each other. As you said, sharing ideas is is profound. 
And I think that social media, as you said, is really good for that. But I think that if we have these conversations in the workplace, someone goes, oh, this is what I do. Someone goes, oh, I hadn't even thought of that. That's going on my list as well. We can share those ideas. And I think that open conversations in the workplace are, are so powerful in that regard. But there will still be differences. Yeah. And understanding those differences and celebrating those differences and, and knowing what works for you in different circumstances um, is so huge when it comes to managing stress. Yeah, 100%. There's also an element of shame that plays a part as well when somebody can't stick to something. Like you mentioned, 5am club. Like I know so many people around that time when when Robin Sharma published the, his book, and I was talking about it for years, but around the book, there was this heightened buzz again all about it. And there were people that were really giving themselves a hard time because they couldn't do it or they or yep. they did do it and they hated themselves for doing it. And it was like, yep. oh, put the brakes on. Why are you even doing it in the first place? Like, what I is like that with meditation? Like, yep. I, I can't meditate in, yep. in the traditional sense. Yep. Um, and people are like, oh, well, you just haven't found that. And I'm like, no, I've tried, tried lots of different styles. Um, why why do you feel the need to make it suitable for everyone? Why can't you just accept yep. I don't like meditating? Yeah. Um, oh, but it has all these benefits. Yeah, so does a lot of stuff. From yeah, heavy metal, you get the same benefits. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> For me, the the benefits of meditation I get elsewhere, yeah. and and that's okay. It's like not liking a food. Yeah. Right. It's it's like oh, but this food, this particular ingredient has all of these nutrients. I'm like, yeah, but I bet it doesn't have. I bet it's not the only source of that nutrient. You can get it elsewhere, right? And, and so for me, it's like that with meditation. I'm like, do you know what that release and that kind of mindfulness I get from doing stuff like surfing or listening to music, mosh pits, mosh pits are a great example of mindfulness. <laughs> I, I like to call things like surfing and mosh pits and stuff like that, extreme mindfulness, because if you're not fully present in the moment, if you're worrying about how many emails you've got to reply to, someone's going to flatten you. You need to be 100% there present in the moment. And so that's what works for me, right? I've figured it out. That's probably the first time on this podcast in like 100 and something episodes where somebody has actually said, you know, getting in a mosh pit is actually like a good way of managing stress. <laughs> I love I, it. I, it's, it's so true yeah it, i mean this this is what i mean about thinking outside the box and finding what works for you as an individual some people again worst idea it is not going to be a stress reliever for you that will, so I, I, i'm not going to sit here and say everyone should do it because that's categorically just false but for some people it's perfect yeah. and and like you said it's that the the guilt and the shame and that kind of Oh, everyone else can do it. Why can't I do it? I can tell you this. If you're feeling like that right now, if you're watching this, listening to this, and you're thinking there's this one thing which everyone does um, that I can't do and I feel rubbish as a result, I can tell you everyone isn't doing it. Just the people who are doing it are really vocal about it. Yeah. Right? That's all. That It seems like everyone's doing it because it's a trend. Yep. But the majority of people in the world probably aren't doing it. They're just going about their lives. Yeah. not worrying about doing your ice bath every morning <laughs> exactly it's funny i was thinking ice baths when you said that yeah, that's the current one right isn't it is... and i used to do cold showers i tried it and i loved it at the time yeah. and then it stopped working for me and it started causing more problems than it solved um again to do with things like fibromyalgia i have you know sensitivity to temperature changes and stuff like that so i was just like i'm gonna stop doing that i'm gonna have i'm gonna go back to having hot showers and and um, people oh, but it's got so many benefits and it's like yeah but <laughs> it, it, like, <laughs> the, it's only if it works for you right there's this personal thing and it's like I know it's a big thing at the moment and I know that there's kind of 
there's evidence for certain benefits and things like that but it's like it's it's only going to be beneficial if you do it consistently and it's something that suits you so it suits your physiology suits your psychology um we're all special snowflakes i'll say it again and there's always um like other ways to get the same benefits like you said as well it's funny so jonathan my my husband and i um we jonathan loves an ice bath every morning without fail he'll be having an ice bath if he can um whereas i will i'm very very adaptable i realized probably i wish i'd realized it earlier but i realized i am definitely somebody that needed to accept my ability to adapt rather than try and be rigid and try and routines and this kind of stuff that was a, a source of stress for me for sure um and i it was a case of like okay now like i will do like i can do a ice bath every day and then i won't do it for a month and then i'll do it again every day for a bit but that's because i choose to and i'm aware of why i'm doing it or i'll do yeah. it every few days or something like that because i'm listening to what my body actually needs and the minute a bit I start, like what i do with my workouts there you go yeah the, the i just have to go is this suitable for me right now or has something changed exactly and the minute you actually start to move with what you need and you start to actually embody what you need and you're you're okay and at ease with changing things within yourself that's i think where the that kind of the game changes and you start to really own who you are for me i i have and i and i've been doing this for a long time now i have essentially like 10 things that are become non-negotiable or rituals for me every single day do i always hit them every day no but that's what I aim towards. And I, re- I review them every single week and I look at, okay, what do I, what needs to be these 10 things for this week ahead? And I'll aim in that direction. And when yeah. I'm aiming in that direction, I'm consistently improving. I'm consistently improving, but in a, in a way that makes sense for me. And sometimes on that list is rest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be non-striving. And, and for me, that actually almost gives me permission <laughs> for yeah. that week to, to to lean into that a little bit more and I found that really really useful and it's definitely helped me grow my capacity to be able to handle more and more when it comes to kind of demands of life you know I think that yeah. makes it's made a real real difference I just want to pick your brains on something Jay I'm conscious of the time here with you but when we here at Wellness Theory are talking about stress we tend we talk about stress showing up in three different ways we show we see like day-to-day stress we see stress and how it's showing up in the body and we see stress that comes from kind of deep within ourselves within our beliefs within our unresolved emotions within um, like our values and if that's in conflict and many other kind of different areas in those th- three segments um they're all one and the same stress is still stress but it gives sometimes people a way to look at stress. But I'm really curious to pick your brains on kind of that root side of things. Like how much do you feel stress is heavily linked to more of our psyche and our life experience in comparison to like the day-to-day stuff that you might see when you're working with individuals or groups or teams in an office kind of situation? I think that's a... I love that question, by the way. That's got me thinking. I like that. Um, I, the kind of the framework or I guess the filter through which I see it is more of a two-sided thing than a, than a triangle. Although again, I'm always adapting this as I learn and as I grow and as I experience different things and talk to different people. Um, And I've kind of turned this internal and external stress and I've termed it physiological and psychological stress and there's different ways that you can kind of look at it um another way of 
thinking about it is sensory stress versus perceptive stress. So uh, let me explain what I mean by this. Um, and I'll use the analogy of any kind of sensory organ. I'm going to use the eye as an example, right? So the, the, the process of sight in a human is, is our primary sense really fascinating to kind of look into in, in 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 depth if you're a massive nerd like me but um the eye has the role of sensation which is taking an external stimulus and turning it into a nervous impulse an electrical impulse in uh, in the nervous system right that's literally all it does that's what the eye does it takes uh, a particular wavelength of light and it turns it into an electrical signal in the uh, optic nerve uh, then the second process is perception, where your brain and the kind of optic centers in the in the brain will take the nervous uh, signal from that nerve and they will interpret it. So sensation is just external stimulus to electrical impulse. And then the perception is what does that electrical impulse mean, which is why two people can look at the exact same thing and see something completely different. OK, so hopefully that that's a that's an uh, a and a brief explanation of the difference between sensation and perception one is physical one is psychological yeah physical sensation where you change one thing into another and then psychological perception our psychological perception is at the mercy of our entire life of conditioning yeah so we have all kinds of filters which that is is processed by yeah. now if you take that in the context of stress an external stressor, so a stressor being a source of stress, um, two people can go through the exact same external stressor and have a completely different perception of that. That perception is the second layer of stress. It's the psychological stress. And that comes from the conditioning. So like, as you said, values and beliefs and so on. Where do those values and beliefs come from? We, we are conditioned with them. They happen through experience. They're very, they're not um, preloaded. Yes, we come with um, the hardware, but the beliefs and the and the programming comes from experience. Um, and you can see this through lots of psychological studies done on twins, for example, who've been separated at birth. Exactly the same genetically, exactly the same hardware, completely different operating systems installed on them throughout their life. So uh, when we look at it in terms of stress, uh, you, the data when you talk about day to day um stress that's the kind of you know what what's happening to us and you could have two people working in the exact same role in the exact same company going through pretty much the exact same stress they're not necessarily going to be exactly the same because there are going to be people are going to speak to them slightly differently or you know um there's various different subtle nuances going on but let's just say for argument's sake it's exactly the same um their perception of what's happening is going to be different uh, one person might be able to deal with that external stress more effectively as a result of the conditioning that they've been fed. You know, they might have had a very supportive upbringing. They might have been encouraged to make mistakes and learn from them. Um, they might have felt emotionally secure. They had really good attachment with their parents and all of this stuff. And so they deal with stress more effectively. The other person might have had uh, poor attachment with their parents. They've been through trauma. Um, they've got uh, issues around abandonment. They, all of this conditioning, which again is absolutely well outside of their control. Nothing, it's not their fault whatsoever. But they, as a result, have a lower capacity to deal with that stress or rather they deal with it differently and it feels more overwhelming more quickly. Yeah. And that's psych those psychological beliefs around the stress are that kind of second layer. So you've got the external or sensory 
or physiological stress and you've got the internal or psychological or perceptive stress which that is then fed through yeah um i feel like i may have gone a bit too deep on that one but that's how i see it that makes perfect sense. So a really good example of this um, that I've actually experienced was being in a a team environment. Um, and this is me as the t- as a team member. Um, yeah. And there were two other employees that were part of that team. Uh, well, one was a manager of the team and one and everybody else was kind of the same level. Um, and one of the team members started messing around with the, um, with the boss. And basically... All of our team dealt with it extremely differently. So that what was happening is they were disappearing off, leaving a lot of work for other people to do and things like that. And there was a lot of resentment building. There was a lot of, uh, there was just a lot of like drama in and around it. But there, you could, it was so fascinating to see the way everybody responded differently from that same scenario. There was like one that was clearly experienced some kind of trauma in and around people cheating on partners or whatever. Yeah. Another one that felt completely rejected and abandoned by other by the fact that they weren't showing up. Other people that were taking responsibility to a whole other level and just taking it in their stride and just like doing all of the work that they those two should have been doing. And it was just really fascinating for me to see that, but also the emotional responses that came with it. And some people burnt out and ended up leaving the team. It lots of different things that ended up happening with that team in the end. But ultimately the the, the the experience was exactly the same, but it was creating such a toxic environment that had all of those individuals, including the two that were off doing whatever they were doing, had a layer of self-awareness as to what they were experiencing internally and then the effect that that potentially could be having on the people around them, I think would have been so valuable to take that team to a whole another level. And it was just, it was a really good eye-opener for me. Fortunately, this was earlier on kind of in my career um and it was good for me to almost like be exposed to that and to see that and experience that because it, I think it's helped me to inform now how much perception plays a part and how much all of that stuff at the root and the, the core at that deep psychological level plays a part because I, I truly believe that it's not usually the thing that stresses out it's the thing about the thing right mm. it's it's not that the fact that your boss is giving you more work to do that's maybe tipping you over the edge maybe it's your relationship with the situation and how that's impacting your life that is creating that feeling within you so sometimes we need to just look a little bit deeper under the surface as to what's going on um i'm really curious to know kind of like your your thoughts on that and if that's something that maybe isn't true for everyone or do, do you feel differently um i think that there's i think that it's I, i'm 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 an avid um, fence sitter, by the way. I I love to hang out in the grey areas and the middle ground. So I'm very um, very slow to make any kind of complete and total observations on something because there's always exceptions. Um, but I would say that for the for the vast majority of the time, um, that does play a, a very big part. I think that if we look at it from, I think if we remember about physiological stress and if we take kind of something that's a bit more clear cut, like a pathological infection, for example, someone gets um, a, someone picks up a virus of some kind, um, there there is a physiological response, stress response to having that infection. The immune response is part of it. Um, and 
and and then the perception of that is that adds another layer to it now i don't think that that necessarily that perception by changing reframing things and adapting our the way we see that illness as that's going to get rid of the illness right that's just not going to happen um but it will have an impact on uh on outcomes in terms of how does that illness affect our quality of life and you see it in patient outcomes for cancer uh, patients for example uh, where if you have someone who is very who perceives their illness as being uh terminal and it's a waste of time even trying and this is the end and they're more likely to they have a higher mortality rate essentially than patients who go i can beat this yeah. now there are obviously other factors at play but there is a lot to say that you know there there is a you can't wish it away but you can improve your prognosis yeah. in medical situations yeah. by framing that in a certain way that's it's worth being aware that that that's how powerful our perception can be um it doesn't work to the point once again if someone is listening to this and they're going through that don't sack off the chemo and go i'm just going to manifest the uh the cancer to go away that ain't what i'm saying right i'm not big on the law of attraction um however perception does play a part because and, and and I believe maybe I'm biased, but I believe that the mechanism through which that has an effect is stress. Mm-hmm. We know that physical and psychological stress um, can cause illnesses, but they can also exacerbate existing illnesses. Um, stress, the stress response, an unbridled stress response in the body that's firing in a chronic way can cause hypertension and heart attacks and cancer and um, diabetes and um dementia uh they're, they're basically through actual well-documented physical processes and so if we are already going through something of that ilk and we then go through more psychological stress on top of that through our beliefs around it we are going to make it worse and that is not a wishy-washy thing that is a clearly documented yeah. like mechanistic process um so I think that the two tie into each other. I don't think it's a case of one is necessarily greater than the other, but I think they feed off each other. Um, I think that if we want to address stress management in the most effective way possible, we need to look at it in two ways. And that is one at a systemic level at the source of the stress, the cause of the stress, which could be workload, lack of communication, poor job roles, um, managers who don't have any leadership skills, various things like that interpersonal relationships um unsafe physical working environments and disease and stuff like that and then we also need to look at individual um individual interventions as well where the the focus has maybe unfairly been on the individual for a long long time um and individual coping strategies and a lot of those coping strategies can be around you know cognitive behavioral uh, approaches and stuff where you are reframing what's happening and changing the narrative and the story you tell yourself around what is happening um you know we're talking about turning the taps off if you can't turn the taps off turn them down if you can't turn them down then you need to do something else because you know there has to be a solution somewhere and some of that is is going to be through our our processing of what's happening um so i think that again there's no there's no simple answer that this is more than this but i i do think there is a complex interplay between the two and we need to address both sides of it 
100%. We always say the stress isn't one dimensional. And I think mm. if we think that just by fixing one thing or turning one of those taps off doesn't mean there's another tap going to come on over here if we still can't yep. deal with the way we're perceiving our our life. You know, it's yeah. it's really interesting. It's all interlinked, all of it. And I think one of the pro- well, one of the mistakes I think we've made just generally um, in society is we we separate things, right? You know, you we've spoken about this probably before from a health standpoint on the podcast you know you if you break your arm you go to a and e which is fair enough for right if you um feel like you need something else you go to this specialist and then they send you to that specialist and they don't speak to each other and it's we have to realize that we are one system and the more we can have that self-awareness like we spoke about at the start we can start to understand how it interlinks and how it works for ourselves as individuals so that we can at least set ourselves up in a healthier way perhaps um to to navigate and move around and dig into the demands of life as well yeah absolutely and i think that you know it's necessary that we that we divide things up to a point because it's how um we need it to make sense of our surroundings right we need to we need to we need people who are specialists in certain things because you can't be a specialist if you want to get really uh really hot on the workings of the heart and the card uh, the cardiovascular system and stuff like that for for from a surgical perspective and you become a cardiologist and you're an expert in the heart we need those people we yeah. absolutely 100 need those people and therefore we do need those specialisms to a point yeah. um but when it comes to our own bodies i think it pays to be very much a generalist yeah 100 definitely um so jay before we wrap up, is there anything else that you think our audience needs to hear that perhaps we haven't mentioned today? Um, I think it, I think they've heard a lot. Um, I'm going to, what I'll do is I'll close it by just recapping one or two things, which I think from all of the stuff we've talked about, which has covered a lot of different stuff that I think would be useful takeaways to actually implement right because what we want is for people to change stuff it's all well and good listening to things but unless you change things nothing changes so i think that um if i was going to pick let's say three things to remember one of them would be uh to to work out to to work out your uh what works for you that self-awareness and go right okay what is what works what works for me and take ideas from other people but really figure out what works for you that's the first thing the second thing is to um is to stay adaptable i think is the is is another key point is to be willing to have that flexibility and not set um arbitrarily rigid boundaries and rules for yourself but actually go hey i'm a human being i'm super adaptable that's how we've evolved i am going to harness that and i'm going to stay adaptable um and the third thing i would say specifically for leaders in particular and when i say leaders i mean the term very loosely i don't mean just ceos and mds and people like that um i mean anyone who leads any kind of team that could be a team of two people it could be a team of 2000 20000 it could also be a leader if you consider yourself a leader in your family uh, which all of us can be um it could be that whether you consider yourself a leader in your community or in your friendship group so anyone who wants to have a positive impact on those around them i would say uh, lead with curiosity and compassion so that you can understand other people more effectively. And you have a double whammy of impact there is that you make people feel safe enough to discuss these things um, and you can learn from that. 
But the second thing is you immediately reduce stress that other people are going through because they feel hurt. And one of the huge, huge areas that people find uh, causes overwhelm is not feeling heard, not feeling valued, feeling like they're isolated or on their own. So if you are a leader or you interact with people on a daily basis in any way, come at those interactions with curiosity, the need or the want to the desire to understand and compassion. Um, and I think that those three things will make a huge difference. So understand what's necessary for you. Be adaptable and lead with curiosity and compassion. Love it. Great summary. Jay, where can our listeners come and follow your work? Uh, the best place to come and follow what I do is on LinkedIn. Um, so you can find me, Jay Unwin, on LinkedIn, or I imagine the link will probably be in the show notes. Um, or you can go to jayunwin.com, which is just going through a bit of a revamp. Uh, so by the time um, this goes out, that might be a new website. Uh, but either way, LinkedIn is updated daily with various things. And the most important thing for me is conversation. So please, if you do come and link up with me on LinkedIn or follow me or send a connection request, engage, um, leave me some comments, send me a message. Let's have a chat. I'd love to hear about your experiences. Um, I'd love to extend my learning. Uh, and if there's anything that I can ever give in terms of like some pointers or just the odd bit of advice here and there, I'm always happy to do so. So don't just come and find me on LinkedIn and then lurk. Say hello. I love it. Don't be a lurker. <laughs> yeah amazing jay thank you so much for your insights today um it's been super super valuable and um, there's so many nuggets in there that obviously our listeners can can lean into and pull out and try um and i really appreciate you showing up today and for leaning into the work that you do because it's really really important the more people that can be shining a spotlight onto stress and then the benefits of actually being able to regulate ourselves so that we can show up in the world perhaps in a in a, in a way that's feeling more authentic then i think that's really really powerful so thank you so much for the work that you're doing and everybody listening we'll see you next time